welcome to Revise and Resubmit, where it's a podcast about talking about things that help you in grad school, or really just Kate and I talking to each other, which is both good. Um, today, we are talking about puberty, and I am the person talking here is Dustin Harridan. I am a clinical community student and a very advanced meaning very <laughs> long in the program. I don't want to say how many years because it's a while. And I'm joined by Kate. I'm talking now. Um, I, <laughs> I'm i Kate McCormick. I am a, oh, now second year PhD student Woo-hoo. in woo, developmental psychology. Um, and I study puberty and the menstrual cycle and hopefully soon someday menopause too and maybe also just getting them along the way yeah oh my gosh all that good stuff leave some for the rest of us your body dramatically changing in a short period of time i want to know about it yeah tell me everything (laughs) tell me everything let me ask invasive questions (laughs) so today we're talking about uh we're having our usual segments we have a new segment too and then we're also going to talk about puberty um as my voice cracks (laughs) We're going to yeah. talk about puberty, um, puberty. how puberty, uh, <laughs> how it's talked about in the media, um, what it actually is, and kind of the intersection of well, what does the science say, and like what do what are some common misconceptions, and um, where has our how has our research developed in this area? Um, so I'm really excited. I'm also very nervous. I was saying to Dustin before the podcast started that. Um, this is an area I've spent a lot of time in. And so I, but with research, everything's constantly changing and mm-hmm. some of my baseline knowledge is from years ago. And so I don't want to get anything wrong. Uh, but also, uh, if you're listening to this 10 years from now, like hopefully research has developed and some of the things that I'm sharing today might no longer be true. So like, give me a break. Um, calm yeah. down. <laughs> Yes, that's how you calm people down is by telling them. Calm down. Calm down. Commonly used in clinical psych. Yeah, that is all we do. We sit in a room and just tell them to tell people to calm down. You're being hysterical. Calm down. (laughs) Be happy. Try yoga. Yes. So we're going to start with our recurring segment, What's New With You? So Kate. What is new with you? Oh, thank you for asking. Um, so last week my brother got married. <laughs> and um my like a new sister-in-law is like super great. Um it was really exhausting week and that was it was but it was also really wonderful. It was held in my parents' backyard and everyone who was there was vaccinated. Um I feel like that's important to say in our co- current context, but it was like mm-hmm. also the first time like of we've had like family together and friends together in a long, long time given the pandemic. Yeah. So it kind of also felt like this, like wonderful. We're finally all together. We're together to celebrate. So that just felt really nice and also really, really, really exhausting. Um, yes. Socially, like it's just having your one circles and your like select time. It was constant socialization. I was like, ah, I am not ready for that. Yeah, so I like needed to like sit in like a room by myself in silence for like probably ten days after. But considering I had stuff to do, it was like four hours of sitting Mm. by myself. 
It works. Yeah, still recovering. Kind of. Yeah. yeah. So Justin, <laughs> what's new with you? Thank you for asking. I there's just constant change. I guess is what's new. No, it's not new. That's always <laughs> been. Oh, that's not. Yeah, that's not. It's not a peer 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 moment. Uh, we are still in the process of moving. Surprise! If you're still listening and you're like, he's still moving, isn't he? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's happening. Uh, it's getting closer. But the the new thing is coaching T ball, and uh, it is both exhausting and delightful all at the same time. Um, and it's just really, really a fun thing. And just this past, we had a, a game, if that's what we call them between two groups of, of little children, uh, who won, it was a tie. Well, it depends on how many kids you have on your team because everyone gets the bat, which is great. Everyone gets to hit and then everyone goes home. Even the losers, even the losers. Wait, wait. So you just do like what? It's like one inning. Well, you, you play, I think we played, we played three innings, but so if I, if my team has 10 kids and your team has nine, every inning, I'm going to score 10 points and you're going to score nine. Oh, so I win. (laughs) So did your team have more people? I honestly do not remember. Oh my God. Yeah. You're teaching kids that it doesn't matter whether you win or lose. I think that's pretty dangerous to be honest. (laughs) We got to play against um, one of my advisors, like my clinical advisors, supervisors, uh, their kids. So that was fun, uh, getting to 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 pummel them into the ground. Ha <laughs> ha! <laughs> it's just really interesting being a like a kid psychologist in that space. And you're like, oh, okay, this is cool, and like seeing all the different developments and um, and then just parents yelling at them for not being able to hit the ball not yelling encouraging uh, but it's like you're you're like six you can't really do this that well yeah no this um I, I meant to for my other like what's new with you I also had some time with my um cousin my first cousin once removed um so my cousin's kid um who was a mm. flower girl at the wedding and oh. it was super de- like so she was she was one of the flower girls and my sister-in-law's family um her cousin's kid was the other flower girl and they were two years apart but they immediately hit it off and they were like <laughs> obsessed with my dog and so oh, like right gosh. before the ceremony started the other little girl was like where's finley and i was like finley is waiting to make sure you do a good job let's not get distracted now <laughs> like yeah and they were on the dance floor they wanted to dance so badly and goodness i was the only one on the dance floor at the time and i was like do we want to take a break and they were like no (laughs) so i was like okay have you ever heard the dance move of fanning yourself while you stand in the same place (laughs) because you were overheated and they just copied whatever i did it was the cutest thing that's good i love kids i love them playing t-ball attempting to dance yeah, everything. Following the dog for four hours. Yeah, like how how can they do that? Yeah, it's amazing. So we're not here to talk just about kids. We're here to no. shout out our uh, grad students and from our revise and resubmit community. Um, so thanks for everyone who submitted uh, their shout outs to people. I guess we should go. Maybe we can go every other with our shout outs. You want to go so, first? So I'm going first yeah. with that. Thank you. We've got uh, 
a shout out to Marissa Sprilly. There is a shout out saying that uh, they would have dropped out in the fall without you. So thank you for all that you do and all the support you have. Uh, there's a shout out to both of us for doing the podcast. You're yes. welcome. Uh, <laughs> that was my submission. No, it wasn't. <laughs> uh, shout out to Julianne Griffith. She is great. It's a shout out from both Kate and I. <laughs> so shout out to you. Thanks for the support. And then uh, a shout out uh, to someone's accountability partner, partner uh, Annika at Falcon underscore B and this person's advisor, Dave at lab underscore Jobs. They have been unfailing sources of support in my absolute lifelines this year. Um, I think that's really wonderful. I it, just reading some of these, it was just really wonderful to think about who helped get you through this year and just take a moment to even like think about it and reflect on how your support system supported you through a particularly difficult year. So thanks for those who submitted. Yeah. And if you want to send a shout out to anybody, feel free to send us a DM. You can follow us on, on Twitter or send us an email at revise n the letter N revise and resubmit at gmail.com. And then you can have two people who you may or may not have met Kate and I shout out to these people for their support. Yeah, we can also send them an email or directly message them or shout them out on Twitter. So let us know what you would like us to do. Um, Great. Uh, So we also have a new segment. So (laughs) this is a this um, segment was actually sent suggested to us. and We think it's a fantastic idea. So shout out to Julia Russell um, at Kansas University. I'm pretty sure that's right. Um, She's a friend of mine. I should know this. Anyway. Written post. I'll just go over your voice with my voice. Perfect. This sounds supernatural. Uh, um, Anyway, so the new segment is called Celebrating Into the Void. And so that is just uh, an opportunity to send us your celebrations that anyone else who is in the research world would acknowledge as like, oh my gosh, this is fantastic and like great good for you but like something that your like significant other your family they would be like that doesn't mean anything to me um mm-hmm. and i don't really know what you're talking about and they do that like oh i'm i'm glad that you're glad but have no they don't know the the gravity of what you're doing mm-hmm. and um as described by julia it's also where students can figure out where students figure out seemingly small but important tasks on the road to completing milestones. Um, but if they were to tell non-academic people, they would have a lukewarm reception. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and since she started it, we also want to give we have Julia as our first submission for her uh, shout out into the void, celebrating into the void. Uh, Julia, I learned in SQL how to join a bunch of information together within the VA data sets, and it has moved me forward approximately 1% on thesis. Some people pronounce it SQL, others pronounce it SQL. That is a huge thing to to navigate data sets, and that is really awesome. And so we're here to celebrate you. Congratulations, Julia. My arms are up. I have this problem (laughs) where... uh, just I, full stop. I have this problem. <laughs> I have this problem. Well, I wave goodbye to people when I'm on the phone with them. And so oh, that's interesting. I recently 
so I've been doing this for years, but the problem is when you have like witnesses, it like leads to a new, like, and I was having an awkward conversation a couple of weeks ago and I was walking around town while I was on the phone and I mm-hmm. did like a cringe wave and then realized what I was doing to say goodbye. And I was like, there are people around. You need to mm-hmm. not do this. Mm-hmm. So I'll continue to do that in podcast form. At least you can see me. So it's like I, yeah. something's happening. We will narrate and put in, what are they, like stage directions? Yeah. Yeah. That sounds good. We got that. All right. So those are our, those are our segments. And we're now going to kind of start talking about, we're not kind of, we're going to start talking about puberty. Um, I love talking about puberty. So just to kind of like intro it I think it's this like really fascinating topic that I like fell in love with the study of puberty um, towards the end of my time in undergrad and what has really is fascinating to me is like it really does speak to other life transitions but puberty Mm -hmm. just encompasses like all of them it also has some cool um, parallels with menopause which maybe we can talk about in the future but um, yeah so just to kind of start out I think a lot of times like a good way to center this is talk, is where do people see puberty discussed in the media yeah. and like what's really popular when we're talking about puberty like what are some cultural lines at least in the US um and so i am well uh well positioned to talk about this because i have a google alert set for puberty um actually i think i just turned it off because it was getting a little getting a little it was getting to be a lot um but I wanted to kind of get a sense of like what it what are popular narratives um and what should I as a scientist studying this area like what should I be looking out for as far as like myths that I might need to bust and um things that people are concerned about and so uh one of the big things in like recent in the last like probably two or three years is like almost every Google or I get talks about puberty blockers. Um, so that's in regards to people who, for teenagers or adolescents who are transitioning. Um, but it's kind of this catch all term that doesn't apply to the actual drug. So just a little quick myth busting here, like what they're talking about is luprolide. Um, luprolide is commonly used for precocious puberty in, um, and it's also used for people with different kind of cancers that are uh, like prostate cancer. Um, and um, it is, it has been used for years and it's healthy. It's like safe to use. It's approved. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's become this like catch all or like term that people are using um, and applying it to like trans individuals use. Um, so there's a real like lack of understanding about it's the safety and it's use in it's it is very commonly used. There's a good, there was a good vice article this, uh, in the last couple of weeks about this. Um, basically where a lot of, um, legislation, anti-trans legislation has come down as they are really, um, they're anti use of luprolide for trans, for trans individuals, but they will allow it for cisgender, um, children and adolescents to prevent um, early puberty, which is a, um, it it only affects a small number of people, but early puberty is very, um, can lead to like a lot of bad outcomes, like, like precocious puberty, which is different from early pubertal timing, which we'll get into. But that's kind of like the biggest thing in the last couple of years. But 
if we're looking at larger like beauty and the media trends in the last like 10 years, a big, a big thing has been like this extreme concern about puberty getting earlier. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. And then there's also a lot of headlines and a lot of things about how pubertal teens are so difficult. And that's the start of when parents have to like battle with their kids. And Mm -hmm. there's a lot of narratives about, oh, you have to watch out when your daughters get older. It's in particular, I think a lot of times it's aimed at girls um, suddenly becoming moody and difficult. Um, And then really unfair narratives too about boys suddenly being very sex obsessed. And they're all very like Mm -hmm. sex types things where um, there's no kind of other genders there are no other genders represented Mm -hmm. and it's um really not 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 particularly healthy but these are things like that you see in like the new york times and like all different kinds of like parenting magazines um and i think there are a lot of other cultural anxieties about puberty tied up in these in these anxieties about puberty getting earlier teens being bad um there's you know weight gain in puberty so suddenly you're like there in like the early 2000s I remember you know this pre-pubertal ideal of being like pushed to being like real thin and the larger culture in the U.S. and so um, just puberty being this real catch-all for a lot of cultural anxieties about girls and boys and their this really binary view of like gender um mm-hmm. So those are things I think about when I'm talking to people. And I also, one thing I like got a ton about, which I know you do too for sleep research is whenever you tell people what you research, you learn so much about (laughs) biases and what, like about the cultural environment we're living in by how they respond to you. Um, I think I, with with the pandemic, I've gotten less of that about puberty since I moved back into that. But I just remember, like, notably when I was studying menopause, and I told people I worked in a lot that studied menopause, just the reactions I would get that were mm-hmm. very <laughs> problematic. Um, but men <laughs> complaining about their wives and how difficult it was for them, that their wives were moody and impossible. And I think a lot of times when the media lens is on the people who is is not on the people who are going through puberty or going through mm-hmm. menopause it's parents it's um husbands and mm-hmm. um it's a specific type of headline not the people who navigate puberty successfully not the kids who like really rely on their parents but as much as it is a time of increased independence and less time like with your parents more times with friends I think we miss in these narratives, the experience of going through puberty and the challenges that kids go through, um, cultural like roles that are constantly changing. Um, you're suddenly being looked at differently. People are talking to you differently. And I just, uh, when we talk about puberty, I think I always like to kind of look, um, back at like what I was feeling during that time as well as like centering it on the people who are actually going through it and what that was like so I think we become really ungenerous um, with teenagers the older we get um, and the more we lose sight of like how challenging it is to to be going through all of those changes definitely and there's from like my perspective being more recently 
getting interested in this area of development and and thinking about this from a research perspective. But I think it's over the the last like five or 10 years, I think more broadly puberty is being represented in more like pop culture type things where like you talk about these, these narratives that people have about, Oh, maybe it was the time that they went through something happened during puberty for them or a friend or, and that's, that's like the, the narrative that they hold as this is representative of, of everything. And then people don't talk about it because it's like, Ooh, body's changing. And it's like, why we, we can talk about this. It's okay. Um, and that nature of it then ingrains those ideas even more. And I think now with the like pop culture references and um, like entire movies or shows about this that really highlight this period, no pun intended, but that like now it, it's being talked about. And I think those discussions are being had in the around development more broadly and that it's something not to be ashamed of that it's it's okay to talk about these things um where i feel like there was this narrative and like the cultural anxiety you're talking about where it's like we don't we don't talk about that like we don't we don't do that uh or it's sequestered to here you take a class on sex ed and that's that's it that's all you get to talk about yeah, I think that's another thing that I think I, I consider a lot when we talk about puberty is there's this like disconnect between um, what actual puberty is and how people think about puberty. And there's this like mm-hmm. real sexualization piece to it as well, where like it's like, yes, puberty is preparing you for like, you know, to have a child for to reach your mm-hmm. reproductive potential. Um, but, you know, that that's not all it is. And it's not no. that that's not the experience for most people. It's not. Um, and that's, you know, I, I have mixed feelings about Big Mouth, for example, as like a mm-hmm. popular show. And like, um, I haven't actually seen Pen15, but I've been meaning to. Um, yeah. But Big Mouth is, I both like because it's funny. And like, it's by comedians who I enjoy. Yeah. Um, but it is very sex focused and um Mm -hmm. a little more like i think a little less on that and a little more about other things would would have been preferable to me um but it is also bringing it back into the conversation which i think is is great Mm -hmm. um but yeah so let's let's talk about actual like what is puberty (laughs) um yeah because you say it's this big thing right yeah so what what is puberty yeah so um people think about puberty as starting in the teens and this other thing where like, I think people think about puberty as in like late middle school, early high school. And that's not where most changes are coming online. So like what 13, 14 is what people usually think. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I was going to be like, no, it's not. Um, That's not. Yeah. Yeah. That's not what it is. No. (laughs) No. That's not funny. Um, Anyway. uh, So it actually starts with adrenarchy, which is starts around six to eight years old. Um, so I like to think of it as like, and I, I'm probably not unique in this. So like, I like to think of it, but uh, as like this kind of two opinion. waves are these like cascading, they're all cascading developments. Um, and if you can't see right now, I, because it's a podcast, I'm like waving mm-hmm. my hands into two little like waves. So the first hand in wave is adrenarchy starts between six and eight years old. And that's an increase in DHEA and testosterone. And that's where like 
the very beginnings of pubic hair and skin changes start to come online. So um, I know I've always kind of kept this in my mind of one, one, one like health teacher or something was like, oh yeah, it's when you start to notice your children like start to get really smelly and they don't know it like before, like they have that yeah. sweat smell, but then they have that like, then they have the sweat that smell. really gross. Like, yeah, like obviously like little kids need to bathe, but then it's like, oh, you really need to shower. Um, and so that starts way earlier than I think people are kind of, uh, mentally prepared for. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are those kind of changes kick off the second part of puberty, which is gonadarchy, or also called puberty, which is uh, so gross. Uh, <laughs> it's just the names sometimes suck. Um, yeah. Puberty just sounds terrible. But that's um, for um, for people who like end up menstruating. That ends up being like breast development. Um, menarche and for both um sexes it's growth spurt um for people who um are born male that's the deepening of voice facial hair growth and again also growth spurt um so that's the like kind of second part of all of these changes coming in line and it usually starts um and i should i should have said this earlier but because a lot of this research is based in certain sex and gender assumptions, and mm-hmm. we're talking about historical research, I'm going to use boys and girls. Um, mm-hmm. But what I mean, for the most part, is like people are assigned male at birth and people are assigned female at birth. But that's just kind of the terms are, that are used in the historical research. Um, and obviously, as mentioned earlier, with a lot of um, issues for trans youth and non-binary youth. Like there is a real dearth of research on this, which is important to keep in mind. Um, but it's uh, we're hoping that a lot of research can be done for not just this gender youth um, to really help, like, give us a larger idea of what what the experience of puberty is for everyone, and not just mm-hmm. you know white cisgender youth. Um, uh, but yeah, so for girls, it's usually nine to 11 where these changes start to develop and boys, it's like 10 to 10 to 13. So, um, it's a little earlier for girls and that kind of leads to the other like big question and big media narrative, which I mentioned earlier, which is so much concern is puberty starting earlier. Um, and the answer there is like, maybe sort of, we're not sure. Uh, <laughs> we don't have enough good data. So adrenarchy um from the most and again this is the part we're getting into where like future research may find this to not be the case but adrenarchy is not trending earlier so that's still in the six to eight years of range or six to nine um and that's that first that that first first wave wave that you're talking about where it's like yeah and these terms changes and things yeah Yeah. i always find them very adrenarchy sounds like gonadarchy to me and so i have trouble keeping it straight to be honest yeah yeah no they're all (laughs) Just say pubarchy, and then pubarchy. it sounds like a something that a dog does. More like pukearchy, am I right? Oh, there you go. Okay. Um, so, but morphological changes like in breast development in girls, and like like way hip development, maybe starting earlier, um, but likely part of that is due to better nutrition and health. Um, there are also potentially measurement issues. Um, with earlier studies, like you can't be sure. Um, there's also smaller things like if for Tanner staging, and that's kind of the gold standard for pubertal measurement. 
Um, and that's with a trained nurse who is working with a teenager. You need to act or working with an adolescent child, adolescent, um, <clears throat> you need to actually palpate their breast in order to like be able to discern the stage and differentiate from like fat tissue that might be like, might be complicating like a photo or visual inspection. So, um, so when we think about how we rate where somebody is uh, in like puberty, the best way to do that is to be in the room. There is a nurse mm-hmm. who's trained in these things. Exactly. And how often does that happen in these research studies? Uh, I would I would say pretty rare. Like it's hard to do. So like I would say it's expensive. First it's expensive. Off, right? You need to employ <laughs> like you need to have a nurse that you're paying for that. Uh, yeah. And also, you know, there's the issue of like you have to have kids who are comfortable with that. And mm-hmm. that's, you know, like, that's a big ask. Um, I think it can be a really big ask. And so that can prevent people yeah. from, and you, I, I think you have to be really careful with that too, because you don't want to be coercive. Like if you have anxious children who are afraid of like not doing what they're told, like to me, that's like, it's this like really great measurement. If you can make sure that participants are comfortable and that within that, that, um, it's not going to alter like your findings because only kids who are willing to do it will, will, will be Chandler stage. So who, who might you be leaving out? But and yeah, not only kids who are comfortable, it's the, the parents too. Exactly. And think about like consent. what kind of a parent consents to those types of things or how are they, are they coercing their child? Exactly. Um, Medical mistrust is also like a huge problem in a lot of it it justifiably in communities. And so Mm -hmm. there it's all, that's a complicating factor. There are other ways um, to do uh, pubertal development measurement, which is like there's um, the pubertal development scale. These map on really well to the Tanner stage, but Mm -hmm. like nothing is as good as the Tanner staging. So there's a pubertal development scale developed by Peterson. And that's like a child self report. Um, And there is this kind of thinking, which is like, in some ways, it doesn't matter as much as like what your objective measurements are. It's your like subjective, how you feel like your puberty is developing, how you feel like relative to peers. And I am hand talking a lot today. Um, but I, no, think I wasn't smiling at the hand talking. I was it was the like objective versus subjective and what what actually matters there? Like, does it matter if you're objectively different or like advanced or like what? what is going on. There's lots of layers here. Right. And I, I, I think this is why like I am I'm glad we're talking about puberty because it is like a lens in which a lot of like other research like operates with these same has these same problems and has these same mm-hmm. like issues, which is like Yeah, it's not unique to to puberty. Yeah. And like I think oftentimes we see and like when I was in uh, a medical center, like the medical model like really puts a premium on these objective measurements as like confirmatory. Mm-hmm. And yes, that is an important tool, but I think sometimes we miss that, like, if subjectively you believe that you're, like, developing earlier than your peers, and again, we're going to talk about early pubertal development a little later, um, or pubertal timing, then, like, that kind of matters more because Mm -hmm. it colors how you see yourself and how you feel that others are treating you, and it may not be consistent with your, like, objective comparison um but that's that that's what you're experiencing and there's i think there are a few studies that have looked at this but there's also research on like 
puberal timing is uh, your status regressed on age. Or do I have that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's but, some residualized. <laughs> residual. Yeah. How you, yeah. your puberal timing relative to your peers. Are you earlier or later than your um, peer group? But that's done by age. And mm-hmm. sometimes we miss like, yeah, but who are your actual peers? So like yeah. if you, just because you're on time, maybe you're hanging out with like, I don't know, like gymnasts or cross country team where Mm -hmm. like in general, the group has later pubertal development. So you'll feel like you're developing sooner. Um, And I think it really speaks to a lot of things in psychology or issues in social sciences where we have these physical, we have physical changes, but they're all in the context of these wider things. Um, Mm -hmm. The Brofenbrenner, like the Brofenbrenner model of like your, family systems like your cultural system chronological systems that that are giving meaning to your experiences so I think that's that's important to keep in mind here um but yeah so as the measurement gets done um we also like know that we don't have enough data for boys um and I also think this is super fascinating because in general where a lot of research is um based with like based on like research on men and, and um, male mice models, uh, male mouse models and things like that. Um, purity is this interesting flip situation where we don't have a lot of data for boys. Um, there's, I would say like if someone is out there, like think they want to study puberty, like male puberty, um, they should go ahead and do that. Cause I don't think there's enough researchers looking at this. Um mm-hmm. And there is really a huge focus on girls now. Um, And historically, a lot of times it was like white affluent girls. So that's kind of being addressed more these days, which is fantastic because uh, they're also speaking of like cultural differences. Early pubertal timing um, can be not as probably like not as um, maladaptive or um, not as difficult for some for girls from some cultural groups versus other like racial ethnic cultural groups so that's something to keep in mind too um super super fun fact which i love telling people is that one of the things with agent menarche is we or menarche by the way is when you get your first period when um girls get their first menstrual period um, and that kind of signals like the later stages of puberty. So just about being done with the uh, pubertal development. Um, we have a lot of old historical records about menarche because it really is this like flashpoint. And so we have this like throughout like history, these fascinating records. Um, I'm just going to pull up some. So, Agent menarche over time, we have these records back to ancient Greece where um, menarche was around 12 to 13 years old, according to the Hippocratic Corpus in 12th century Europe. Uh, it's recorded as between the 13 and 14 years old, according to Trotula of Salerno. Um, in mid 19th century Europe, uh, we have it between 14 and 15 and a half years old, according to medical records. In the 1900, it was about 14 years. And again, in the U.S. right now, it's like 12.4. But I think that is so interesting. The thing about boys is like there's not quite an equivalent measurement. And so we don't have great records except for the Leipzig Choir. Um, So one of the things they had is they had great records because 
they have records of when boys' voices drop, so they could no longer be like sopranos. I don't know, is that right? Um, I, I what's no the highest idea. thing? Yeah, so they could no longer like have these like little voices. Um, and um, so, but that's obviously a limited sample because you first would have to get into something like the Leipzig Choir. Um, but I know other people are looking for like similar choir records to have that. And I believe that was around their voices dropped around age 17, which would be pretty wild. But I also think like there might be some collection because you would want like a smaller boy who like there might be some who would have his his voice like that for longer. And like if I remember this correctly and this is where I'm getting into dangerous, I might not remember this correctly. Is like they tried to limit their development so they could stay stay small and have their cute little high voices for for as long as possible really i did not i didn't know that i'm gonna fact check this um yeah we can do that i'm looking at there is uh an article the title is age of boys puberty in leipzig 1727 to 1749 as indicated by voice breaking in the choir members which is that's crazy. Yeah. That's really cool. Right? Like, so freaking cool. Um, but It's I'm, cool, but it's also, like, it, it feels it feels different for some, like, thinking about tracking all these things. I mean, for both females and males. Right. Thinking about, like, tracking these things in this historical context yeah. where it's like, oh, this is, yeah, I don't know. Who's getting, yeah, who's getting tracked and who's getting included in this too yeah. is like yeah. fascinating to me. So, um, but, you know, talking about these historical trends, like they're just things we know in general, like in the modern era about puberty and mental health, which is like a big, a, a large part of this is like based on individual differences. Like a lot of teens navigate puberty successfully. Um, mm-hmm. And it's important to keep in mind that this is a time of a huge change, um, as I mentioned earlier. And so, of course, some people are going to have more trouble navigating these challenges than others. And you can, again, look to like other major transitions in, in a similar light. Like some people do okay. Some people struggle a little bit. Mm-hmm. Some people are really like throws them off the rails and um, yeah. into challenging paths. So think about transitioning to grad school exactly. or transitioning in or out of college. Like there are lots of things and, and then throwing on top of that physical and biological changes and other social expectations. Like when we think of, like you were saying at the beginning, you think of puberty, there's lots of different layers, but sometimes, and people will have different kind of, um, models in mind of what what they think puberty is, and maybe they ascribe more. There's more weight to the physical changes or the biological changes, and it's like puberty is this biological transition. But there's so much more that that happens that we don't often think about, and then you're getting to like how it impacts mental health, right? Like exactly. What is the de- what's the deal there? What's the deal there? So yeah, I guess there are different ways of thinking about it. The one we know the most about is other than like pubertal status, which we just talked about, which is your each like kind of level as you level up like a you Pokemon um, <laughs> as you evolve. Oh no, they're evolving. <laughs> um, but pubertal timing, as I mentioned before, is like the big one. Um, so 
pubertal timing, which is like, do you develop earlier than your peers, same age peers, or on time, like around the same time as them, or later? Um, Earlier pubertal timing is correlated with a lot of externalizing and internalizing in girls. And there are mixed findings with boys, but I think like the most um, up-to-date kind of understanding is that early pubertal timing is also difficult for boys. Um, And that's kind of based in the maturational disparity hypothesis, which is Mm -hmm. the earlier you develop, like your mind hasn't kind of caught up with your body. And there also, you might um, be more likely to associate with an older peer group. Um, So you might be engaging in behaviors that are not like that you're not yet prepared for like sexual activity, potentially like um, drinking and drugs. Um, Just like greater risk-taking behaviors without having the cognitive capacity to really weigh those, those, the pros and cons. Exactly. Exactly. And so that's, that's kind of a big piece of that. And, um, obviously like externalizing and internalizing, they don't kind of just happen separately. Like these things are related. So depression can lead to certain choices or choices can lead to like, it's all like interactive and, um, one kind of can beget the others um, and vice versa. So one thing that's interesting, which I mentioned before, is we um, the racial and ethnic differences in off-time pubertal development. There's a good recent study that we'll kind of post on the blog about um, uh, needing to look at these, these like specific development and even like going down to, I think we often think of like puberty as like, just one giant change, whereas like mm-hmm. breast development in particular can lead to maybe different outcomes. And mm-hmm. often we think of just like how developed are your breasts and not like how large are your breasts. Cause that can change mm-hmm. like how you're sexualized and like what, and um, anyway, so this is kind of a new, unfortunately newer development, which is really focusing on um how these racial and ethnic differences can affect your, how, how one navigates puberty. Um, to get to like a really sciencey part of it, uh, pubertal timing is fascinating to me because, because it was such a great predictor of psychopathology and externalizing and externalizing. Mm -hmm. Suddenly everyone started to throw pubertal timing into their research, whether they knew a lot about puberty or not. Um, Mm -hmm. So like a lot of, I'm just going to throw neuro and cognitive under the bus here. A lot of neuro and cognitive people were like, Hey, you know, like pubertal timing is pretty great. So like, why don't we just collect the PDS, the pubertal development scale, and then we'll like have that in as like another variable. Uh, yeah. Just get it in there and we'll, we'll, we'll deal with it. And this like happens in so many other, like this happens with so many other like constructs and oh, totally. things. So I'm not like, this is a wider problem. But I think the thing that really has bothered me is like a lot of times people are not using appropriate samples when they're asking about the PDS. Mm -hmm. So they're getting it at kind of useless time points. Like if you're getting, um, if you start collecting the PDS at age like 11 or 12, like you're missing the boat because you're getting missing all those nine year olds and you're missing like those 10 year olds. Like that's major change. And by the time you catch them, they may be at like, Tanner stage like three or four and so you're really gonna miss that um, and then from like a statistical standpoint you don't have a lot of variability there to even like there will be differences but 
it might not be the difference that you're expecting when you're like thinking of pubertal timing. Yeah, exactly. And it's just, um, it, it really limits like you're like generalizing and it's just, it, it makes it, yeah. it's, it's a lot of times it's sloppy research to be honest. And yeah. they're just trying to get it in there or they're treating it as like either completely developed or still in process. And those like one to four changes are important. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like my, my big kind of thing here is pubertal timing is really cool, but it's just one measurement. I think pubertal tempo is really fascinating, which is like how fast are you going through puberty? It takes multiple, it takes at least, I think three time points. Um, you need to like get it at least three or four time points in order to get tempo for every, mm-hmm. for, for your sample. Um, so that's like a huge problem because you just need to keep asking it. You need this longitudinal study. Um, you need a large enough. Yeah, you need a large enough sample. Um, but it could tell you a lot because we don't know enough about like, is tempo, like is going through puberty all at once? Like, is that like lead to like more negative outcomes? Because it's like, oh my God, it's all happening. You don't have time to adjust. Or is it kind of beneficial because you're, you know, like if you have a slower tempo, you have time to adjust to each change. Um, But if you go through it all at once, then you know what's happening and then you're done Um, rather than like not knowing if it's slower and more like step by step. It's like you're not clear how to make meaning out of it. Um, I clearly prefer one theory to the other. Um, (laughs) And then synchrony is like, are your changes happening together or like, are they happening like separately? So um, how synchronous is your development? And that does go into tempo, right? Because if you have a really fast tempo, it's all going to be synchronous. Um, But if you have a longer tempo, then like you might experience skin changes first and then breast development. And so like the order of that, and like, that's, it's one of those problems where like, there's so many ways you could go with this. There's Mm -hmm. so many questions within it, but you just, you're really underpowered to like, look at these like tinier things, like looking at like, if your breast development happens first, is it better or worse than it happening last? So um, I think there are a bunch of theories out there, but yeah. That's again, like thinking about just focusing on one part of puberty and in wanting to also think about how these are, are interacting with other things and how they're like, you can look at timing and tempo and synchrony with other components of um, like societal change or different stress, or how is it happening in relation to school transitions or things like that, that we don't, we may not often think about or circadian rhythms. Absolutely. Hmm, maybe somebody is studying that. <laughs> AKA me and Kate. Next episode, more you than me. Um, <laughs> but also I think, yeah, I, the other thing I think would be really fascinating is, um, and this is not something I came up with myself. This is like something other people in my lab are also interested in. And I just I find fascinating, which is like, you know, like you may finish puberty at 13 technically or 14 or 15 um, earlier. Um, but your, how you look at 14 is not how you look at 20, like, yeah. or 25. Like you have these continued morphological changes and mm-hmm. maybe your height is like, just about done but like your your breast development and your hip development and 
and girls and women. And that's kind of, I study more girls and women. So I um, would welcome if someone is listening, I know I'm part of the problem. If someone who (laughs) studies puberty and boys um, wants to come on the podcast and talk about that, you are super welcome. Um, But yeah, we we, we really don't think about those continued post-pubertal changes either as being Mm -hmm. like, we kind of, don't ask questions about those. And I think that is a huge area for future study, which is, okay, so you're done with 14, but like you still had weight gain, your body still changed right before, mm-hmm. like in the time you were transitioning from high school, high school to college. What was that experience? And like, how did that feel? So I, I, I love those areas of research and I will update you all on the podcast as I learn more. But um that's kind of where we are with pubertal research um, and in a really, really, really short nutshell, really yeah. small nutshell. Um, and Just I have so many more things. Nutshell. I could talk for 10 hours about this. I'm very nervous because I have to give a talk on, I will be giving a lecture on puberty in like July. So if I. You're just going to just play this podcast. I'm going to be like, listen up. Just and How would you like down. to hear about my brother's wedding? Um <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah so as if if i get any updated information while i'm like continuing on like putting that together and i said anything incorrect here i'll uh post a correction correction uh hour for all of the mistakes <laughs> i've made and sharing but or if I- there are things that that you've learned along the way feel free to reach out to us and let us know we want to know maybe things that that you didn't know before and you were able to revise your own views on things and and get some updated information or we can revise ourselves in what we're thinking. (laughs) Yeah. So I think the revise and resubmit here is like to be consistent thematically as there are a lot of these concerns that people have about puberty as a, as a group or like pubertal Mm -hmm. youth as a group, but really it's looking at these individual differences and it's also researchers like doing due diligence if they're just going to throw a variable in, um, making sure that they, they know what they're doing because, you know, like funding is based off of these things and <sighs> discoveries and people's Careers. lives. And yeah. yeah, and it's just, it's professionally irresponsible to not think about these things and to lump things in just because you think it'll help help your model be significant and just navigating like your day-to-day too when you see these headlines come out where it's like is is puberty earlier are and just all of these things these major claims that are being made again can be made on these big sweep like make these big sweeping assumptions on a very smaller limited sample where in reality we the like we aren't where we think we should be Big quote, look at the body of literature (laughs) and then make your decisions. Yeah. So future directions. I've talked a lot. Dustin, you go first. It's been great. I've really enjoyed this. And Kate has definitely educated me on a lot of things related to puberty. And I've begun to integrate that into my own research. So I'm really excited about it. Um, the future direction for this week uh, is to both watch and listen Bo Burnham's new special called Inside. It is on Netflix. 
but the audio is also on Spotify. So go check that out. He is just a insane artist in what, like just so amazing at what he does in being able to capture kind of this past year that we've all gone through of being inside and really highlighting the struggles that everyone is faced with. Uh, it is listed as a stand-up, but it is, it's more of a, a piece of art, I would say. Uh, I was listening to another podcast and they were saying that this, they see this as the, the King Lear of our pandemic where like King Lear was written during a pandemic and this, this really speaks to it. And it's just a really amazing piece of art. Um, so go check it out inside by Bo Burnham. I've been meaning to, I'm excited. Um, and mine is like sweet tooth on Netflix. It's been kind of a fun listen or watch. Um, it's, it's weird. It's, I guess it's based on a comic book. I keep being told this and forgetting. Um, (laughs) and it's, it's pandemic E I would say. Um, but this will be, I think less post pandemic cathartic than Bo Burnham, but I've been, I've been enjoying it surprisingly. And I'm surprised that Robert Downey Jr. Produced it. Uh, (laughs) and his wife and his wife. I'm so sorry. Um, to Robert Downey Jr.'s wife. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's good so far. It's been keeping me amused during uh, some busy weeks. I've been setting down to watch that. And then I've been re-watching Desperate Housewives. Um, that's a, that's an interesting... It's an interesting combination. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's funny. It's good. Some of it has aged very poorly. <laughs> this Not is unsurprising. And a fun fact about Sweet Tooth, the main little dude in it (laughs) is the actor. He is in Pup Academy. So for all you parents out there who know about Pup Academy, this is the the same same little guy. But this Um, is probably not for children. No, definitely not. Doesn't sound like it. No. It's hard to say who the audience is, though. It's unclear. Probably people who read the comic book yes yes that sounds right <laughs> all three of them just kidding oh <laughs> i'm gonna alienate our uh, comic book listeners comic book readers of which i am a comic book reader so anyway thank you oh, for yeah. listening oh we did you didn't even talk about uh man eaters great uh great comic book i know i okay sorry future directions man eaters is a comic book uh kind of about menstruation i i i don't even know how to describe it my brain is fried um yeah it's it's like a it's fucking it's good. From image, yeah it's from image comics it's basically this idea that uh when females begin menstruating like that's a they turn into panthers yeah cats like big cats. cats that that go kill people and so there's this whole like team trying to solve this and and limit people from going through puberty yeah and putting estrogen and all of the here's a big problem you can't just put estrogen sorry let me just be a nerd really quickly okay so one of the only problems i have with this comic the only problem i have with this comic is one of the things they do to prevent people from turning into these man eaters panthers is that um 
they put estrogen in the water to prevent it, uh, prevent girls from having their period um, or menstruators from having their period. Mm-hmm. And the problem with that is you can't just put estrogen in there because, like, that just causes like, the proliferation of, like, your uterine lining. You need progesterone, too. So, like, it wouldn't – it's scientifically inaccurate. So if they just, like – if they're doing an updated reprint, then I would suggest that they change that and give mm-hmm. me a small amount of the royalties. Just yes. a suggestion. <laughs> we will. Yeah. We'll go to Image Comics. I should even and do that. Yeah. No, that's a good idea, actually. So, yeah. Check out Manager, Sweet Tooth, and Inside by Bo Burnham. And keep listening to us. Yeah. Thank you. And we look forward to talking at you soon. Goodbye and good luck. And farewell. No, no. Isn't goodbye and good luck Walter Cronkite? Oh, is that... What he says? That's a sign off? I don't know. We don't have a sign off. I mean, this is over now. The Lucan Grad Door is on a vacation.